one of our seminary professors when commenting on the gospel reading for this morning and the difficulties it presents uh, suggested why don't you just preach on the epistle reading well first responders do not run from a challenge nor should Christians run from a challenge we bow our heads and pray Heavenly Father, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, page 8 in your bulletin, the Gospel reading. Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, so they're following, he turns to speak to them, and he says, if anyone comes to me, now we'll stop there for the moment, note these people have come to Jesus. He has not called them to follow. They are following on their own. The problem Jesus addresses in the gospel reading for this morning is not that people are reluctant to follow him. The problem is some are all too eager to follow him. They do not know what they are getting themselves into because they don't know what Jesus is getting himself into. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die on a cross, and his followers can expect no better treatment. Earlier, he had informed his disciples of that truth. Now, he informs the crowds. And he owes them that much. Jesus is brutally honest about what it means to be a Christian. The Jesus who tells us to love our enemies is the same Jesus who tells us to hate our families. The Jesus who bears a cross for us is the same Jesus who lays a cross upon us. The Jesus through whom we have been given all things is the same Jesus who tells us we must renounce everything that we have been given. Word has it that our gospel reading for this morning is devoid of any gospel message. Word has it that it's all law. It does nothing but make demands upon us. There's no good news on that. And that's the word on the street. But why is Jesus going to Jerusalem at all? It's not for his health. It's so that he might accomplish his life's work for you and for me, for every human being. Roman number one on page nine of your bulletin. Whatever Jesus asks of us, he first does for us. Whatever he asks of us, he first does for us. 
In fact, the gospel reading for this morning really describes the way Jesus is. These verses describe what we should aspire to be like, but they perfectly describe what Jesus is like. They are descriptive of him. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's Jesus for you. That's him. Letter A, he prioritized us over his earthly family, over Mary, over his brothers. In fact, when confronted with his earthly family, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked, who is my mother, who are my brothers? The one who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my sister, and my brother all rolled into one. That's Jesus. The Passover was always a family celebration. You went home to celebrate the Passover. You celebrated it with your family, with your parents, with your siblings, with your children. Not Jesus. Jesus prioritized his disciples. He prioritized us. Jesus is not saying that we cannot love our earthly families. He's saying we dare not love them more than we love him. And to the family, that will at times feel like hate. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that's Jesus. Letter B, he bore his own cross and died for us. The Old Testament law makes clear that everyone who sins is under God's curse, under God's wrath. And St. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us, as it is written in the law, cursed is everyone who hangs on a cross. At the cross, Jesus takes our curse up on himself so that we are no longer the subject of God's wrath. Rather, we are the subject of God's mercy. Paul goes on to write, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That means you and I are more than forgiven we are righteous before God because the righteousness of Christ is credited to us through faith. Christ is our confidence before God today and on the last day as well. Verse 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now that's Jesus. Let her see. He gave up everything, all that he had to become the Savior. Remember what he said in Luke 9? The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lived among us as one homeless. And then 
toward the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus hangs on the cross, what are the soldiers doing? They're casting lots for his garments. He hangs naked on the cross. Everything is taken from him. God gave up everything he had, including his son, to purchase us out of sin and death. So what are you worth to God, letter D? Everything. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not together with him freely give us all things? Our God and Father gave up everything he had that we might be his children forever. That's what you are worth in the eyes of the Father. So Roman numeral two, Jesus asks for what's rightfully his. In this gospel lesson, Jesus is not taking what is yours. He's not even asking for what is yours. He's asking only for what is rightfully his. And that includes letter A, our priority. Our priority. St. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1. For by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. So that in all things he might have preeminence or priority. So that he might have priority. If we love father or mother more than we love Jesus, we are not his disciples. If we love spouse and children more than we love Jesus, we are not his disciples. As important as our earthly families are, they must not be our priority. Christ is our priority. The best way to love our families is to love Jesus above all else because what every family needs above all else is Christ. Jesus asks for what is rightfully his and that includes letter B, our submission or obedience, our obedience. Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. As Christ died for our sins once for all, we are called to die to those same sins every day. The sins he died for, we cannot possibly live anymore for. Christ's love compels us to turn away from what we know is wrong. The sins he died for, we now desire to turn from daily. Greed, lust, pride, self-centeredness. These things arise within us daily. We can't stop them from arising. They arise within us. But daily we can say no to them, and we do as followers of Christ. We say no to these things so that we might say yes to him daily. Jesus asks for what is rightfully his, including, let us see, our possessions. One of the first principles of stewardship is that God owns everything, our possessions and our own lives. 
Whatever we have is on loan from God, and there will come a day when he will ask for it back. It's on loan. Now, that's not being unfair or cruel. If a neighbor lends us something, and he eventually asks for it back, we don't consider him cruel or unfair. That is entirely appropriate. Many so-called Christians mistakenly believe that they can set the terms of their discipleship. I will follow you, but, and the but is louder than what came before, see. I will follow you, but my family comes first. I will follow you, but I cannot afford to give to the church. I will follow you, but I, I can't find time to attend. Such people are only fooling themselves. They're not fooling God. We follow Jesus on his terms, not on ours. In Acts chapter 27, Paul was on a ship. He was a prisoner bound for Rome to stand trial for preaching the gospel. In the midst of that voyage, the ship was caught up in a furious storm, and the boat was in danger of sinking. The crew had to lighten the boat in order to save their own lives and the lives of the passengers. First, they threw overboard the ship's cargo. Now, that cargo is necessary to make money for the owner of the boat to make some money. But they threw it overboard to lighten the boat. But it was not enough. They had to lighten it further by throwing overboard the ship's tackle, the ship's equipment and its furniture. But it wasn't enough. Later, they had to get rid of the anchors. They had to cut the anchors loose. And finally, all they had left was their food, their rations. And Paul said to the crew, Men, you've been without food for days. Eat some food. Build up your strength. God will bring us to land. So they all ate something, and then, to lighten the boat, they threw overboard even the last of their food. Now, the point is simply this. God brought them safely to land, but it took everything they had. It took everything God had given to them. The ship's equipment, the cargo, the anchors, the food, these were all gifts from God given to help them along on their voyage. But eventually, even those good gifts from God would become a hindrance to them, and they had to let them go. Now, my friends, the Christian life is like that. The Christian life is like a voyage in which the boat is pure gift, the contents of the boat are pure gift, the equipment, the cargo, your food, your employment, your health, your family, and so on. Your right to be in the boat is a gift. All these things are pure gift paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has placed you in the boat because your destination, by his grace, is heaven. But the voyage is difficult. It is dangerous. 
you will pass through many storms, and to make it to the promised land will take everything in the boat which God has given to you, the equipment, the cargo, your food, your health, your family. All these good gifts are given to assist you on your journey, but there will come a point in that journey when those good gifts will not be a help, but a hindrance, including even your own family. And when that time comes, you must throw overboard, not your family, you never throw them overboard, but your allegiance to them must go. The priority of family must be surrendered. Christ must come first, or your ship will fill with water and it will sink in the depths. Jesus must always remain your priority. He alone is your security. And when I say that he alone is your security, I mean nothing else can be. God has given you everything you need for the voyage, but the voyage will cost you everything you've been given. Roman numeral three. Whatever we freely yield back to him reveals the worth we assign to him. And I emphasize, we freely yield these things back. We don't really give God anything. Everything's his already, but we yield them back to him. And that reveals the worth we assign him. So what is Jesus worth to you? To Judas, Jesus was worth 30 pieces of silver, and I'm told that's about maybe three months' wage. That's what Jesus is worth. Three months' wage, nothing more. But to the believer, Jesus is worth everything you have. David, in Psalm 23, says it better than I can. And I close with the psalm, and as I, as I do close with the psalm, I want you to hear the absolute centrality of Christ in David's life and the supreme value he assigns to Christ. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, not because of what I've done, but for his name's sake, for the sake of his reputation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, David knew what every believer in Christ realizes. Jesus cannot be part of your life. Jesus alone is your life. Christ alone is your security. He alone is worth everything you have 
and more. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.